open to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, you can find that on page 1269 in the Pew Bible in front of you. We uh, are and have been for quite some time preaching through the Gospel of Luke. And we are going to take a break from that for this morning's purposes and look at um, what God has for us in Acts 13. And we'll get into a portion of Acts 14 as well. As you're opening your Bibles, uh, it is important for you to understand this morning that as we look at this narrative, you'll want to keep your Bible open and read along with us. All of the narrative passages that we will look at in Acts 13 and 14 will not appear on the screen, just those extra uh, uh, scriptures that I will cite. So you'll need to follow along with us because it simply would be just entirely too much to put all these passages on the screen. So therefore, you can just walk through with us. Okay, Bible's in hand, open, Acts 13, ready to go. Let's pray and ask God to help us, and then we'll study together. Father, we thank you this morning for the gift, the gift and the privilege we have as receivers of your word. Thank you for your perfect, spectacular word, Lord God, and how it ministers to our heart. God, how it is so amazingly relevant to our lives, how it is so perfect and how it's so wonderful in every way, Lord God, and every opportunity we have to study it together, Lord. We thank you for that. So now I ask your grace, Lord, as I preach this message, Father, I pray that you take control of my mouth, that you give us ears to hear from you, and Lord, that you will direct us as we go through today, Lord God, that you might reveal, reveal yourself in these passages, Lord God, in a mighty, special way, Father, and be glorified here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want us to consider, as we <clears throat> approach this text, I, I want us to first consider some, some things about church, some things about being together in church. Uh, I think one of the things that maybe oftentimes we overlook is just the necessity to really stop and think about what we're doing and, and why we're doing it and how it's going, and so on and so forth. And, and we need to do that in light of Scripture because if we don't do it in light of Scripture, what happens is we inevitably are going to get ourselves off track. We're going to get ourselves uh, thinking of things the way that we think it makes sense or the way that we think it ought to be, and we're going to find ourselves in all sorts of trouble. Now, what I want you to realize this morning is that whenever you study Scripture and whenever you understand a passage of Scripture uh, correctly, in its uh, historical context, you understand what God intended for the original hearers to understand by the passage of Scripture that you're studying. And then you're able to then properly uh, apply it to your own life, find the principles that God would have that apply to us. When you do that and you actually see Scripture being played out in your life or in the lives of those around you or in the community of faith that God has placed you in, that ought to be the most exciting thing in your life. I mean, there could be nothing greater than actually seeing Scripture taking place in your life. I mean, that is that is the pinnacle of just blessing and, and just 
just makes my heart want to explode every time I uh, have this opportunity to look at God's Word and to think about it and to say, yes, Lord, I understand that. And I see that in the people around me or I've experienced that in my own life or I know the, the blessing of the truth that you are giving us. And that's my hope today. My hope today is that you would so uh, just wonderfully be led by God to see the glory of this passage of Scripture and to be able to see uh, yourself in it. Because that, that is truly the mark of... Uh, that, that's the mark that we strive for as believers. You see, the problem is, is that if, if we don't do it this way, here's what we'll do. Well, there'll be some people here this morning who think that the mark of a great church is a church that has a gazillion people in it. Or there'll be other people who think that that's the, the mark of a great church is not a church that has a gazillion people in it. Or it's a mark of a great church is a church that has a certain kind of music or a, or a certain kind of building or a certain kind of preacher or a certain kind of outlook or a certain kind. Of, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. It's all just foolishness. It's nonsense. What we want to know is, well, what does God say we ought to be doing? How does God say we ought to do it? And is that, what, is that what's happening? That's what we want to see. We want to ask ourselves, Lord, what are you doing here that would reveal to us the truth of your Scripture right here being lived out before us so that we can be transformed by it and we, can be, we need to be motivated by the proper things. And so here at this fellowship, at this family of faith, we have declared that we exist to make disciples, to make disciples at home, to make disciples across the street, to make disciples around the world. That that's sort of our mission statement. That's our, our calling as a people. That's just something that we just exist in and constantly is coming from uh, my mouth and through the mouths of uh, the, the leadership here. That that's what we're about. That's what we feel God's called us to do. And certainly He's called us to do all of Scripture, but that's just the way we condense it down into something we can understand. And today what I want to do is I want to start by just sort of telling you a story. I know some of you know parts of this story. Some of you, this will all be new to you. But I'm going to try to be brief and I'm going to try to be succinct. And, and one of the things that, that really grieves my heart is that sometimes when you hear a story like the story I'm about to tell you feel a bit disconnected from it because you understand that you're listening to somebody who has seen it with his own eyes and yet you haven't seen it with your own eyes. And so you feel uh, there's a tendency to just disconnect a little bit. And I don't want you to do that. I want you to understand that you're very much connected to everything I'm about to say. So about six years ago, we had an opportunity to begin to work in Brazil. Now, it wasn't uh, that there was anything special about Brazil. It wasn't that uh, there's anything uh, more special about Brazil today than anywhere else that we go. It just so happened that about six years ago, God gave us an opportunity to start working with Link Up uh, Missions, and we began to work in Brazil. And we really we knew what we wanted to do. We knew that that that. Uh, we, our goal was to plant churches there and to raise up leaders and to see what God would do. But we really had no idea how that was going to look or what was going to happen. So we began the process of going down to Brazil. And many of you have gone and, and all of you have supported that and been a part of that and been involved in that, uh, whether you realize it or not, to some degree. And so as we went, here's what happened. We, we went and we found a city. And in that city, we found a church. And in that church, we found a leader. And through that leader, we began the process of partnering with that leader, that church, and that city 
to plant churches around that area. And one of the unique things about Brazil is that Brazil is filled with these small communities that are called quilombos. Now, a quilombo is a community, a self uh, sort of governing, self-sustaining community within the country of Brazil. So the only way I can explain it is you need to think about the Native American communities here. It's the same thing. They are just like the Sioux or the Navajo, where they're a sovereign people within a country. And so they're made up of uh, pr- predominantly uh, African uh, descendants who ended up in Brazil through the slave trade. And so they, they just exist all over Brazil. And they're little groups of people. They have their own president or their own leader. And some of them even have their own language. And some of them are in very remote places. And some of them are right next to cities. But they're unreached people groups. And even the IMB, the International Mission Board, uh, the Southern Baptists have declared them one of the most difficult uh, unreached people groups that there are. In fact, they have... Uh, basically pulled all of their missionaries who were reaching Quilombos. There's not one single IMB missionary in the entire state of Maranhão where we've been working reaching Quilombos because they just haven't had any success. But we at Michael Memorial have had some success. And so what happened was we began to plant churches there and God's been very gracious to us. And so we planted some churches. We raised some leaders. We saw God call people into the ministry. And so we would go into a community. We'd share the gospel. We would uh, lead people to Christ. We would gather them together. We'd start a Bible study in that community. We would just continue to nurture and nurture. And then God would raise up a leader. We would usually send a leader out of the, the church in the city to come and be their leader and their pastor. Then eventually... They would build a building. We built two entire buildings down there. We've got one uh, that's about halfway done of congregations that exist, that, that where there were none, now there are, just simply because God's allowed us the opportunity to go down there and minister. But along the way, it hasn't been easy. Along the way, we've faced many challenges. And here recently, the great challenge that's come against us has been that the leader in the church in the city of Gimarais announced to me uh, about a year ago that he was going to retire. Now, that was troublesome because uh, I don't understand why a man who has plenty of good years left in him, who's been called by God to be a proclaimer of the gospel, would retire. I don't see that in Scripture. don't really understand that. I hope I drop dead in a pulpit someday. I don't really know what else I would do. But anyway, not today, but, you know... <laughs> For your sake, I want you to hear this message. I mean, I'll be great. Trust me. So uh, he announced that he was going to retire. And many of you know that last November, I took a special trip down to Brazil by myself just specifically to make sure to do everything I could do that, that, to see that that transition went according to plan. Well, there was a man there that we've been, uh, that's been a, an associate that we've been working with and we've been discipling and he's... You know, full, he's been through uh, the training, the, the pastoral leadership training uh, through Link Up Missions and through Brother Richie. And so I was doing everything I could do to make sure that that transition went smoothly and hopefully, you know, that he would become the leader. Well, what the church decided to do in the meantime was uh, they decided to go a different direction. And so they appointed a woman to be their temporary leader. Now, you have to understand that, that we all understand that according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, that's unbiblical and, and unacceptable. But to them, 
you know, they're struggling along trying to figure this out. So I saw that as a teaching moment, tried to, you know, get get them to get where they needed to go. I, but, you know, I, I mean, I understand that when we're doing God's work, there's going to be opposition. It's just the way it goes. Well, when we got there this time, they basically have made her their uh, permanent leader. Now, that drastically changes our ability to do ministry with them. It puts them in an unbiblical position. We simply cannot work alongside a church that is out of God's will. And we certainly can't uh, plant churches from within a church that's unhealthy. That's unbiblical. And so because of that situation, uh, you know, we had to make some drastic decisions in a hurry. And so there I am uh, with uh, my two team members one day in Gimarais and I see that the door is, has closed, at least for now, that things just aren't as they, they should be. So what we did is we went and visited the churches that we've planted. We went and encouraged those leaders and, you know, assured them to be faithful to what God's called them to do and to continue to, to minister and shepherd and do all that they can do, but that it was time for us to shake the dust off our feet and move on. Meanwhile, as that's going on, you got to understand that this is one day. This is one day one in Brazil. So after my wife has already, you know, been plagued with this, uh, these bulging discs in her neck and all the things that I was dealing with here prior to leaving, and she's doing much better. Thank you for your prayerfulness. And I'm just so grateful and thankful to God for all of you and how you cared for her and my family as I was away. And so between all that and then getting there and... Um, Delta Airlines, which I will call by name, who lost my luggage. So I went the entire week with no luggage. Thank you very much, Delta. Um, So if anyone wants to know how to wash clothes in a bucket, I'm an expert at that. Okay? And uh, there's plenty of uh, sermon illustrations that come from that experience, I can assure you. But anyway... So there I am, I wake up, the first, and on top of that, I wake up that first morning and my eye is almost completely swollen shut. <clears throat> so I look like this mongoloid cyclops on day one. And, you know, it's just opposition, oppression, everything's coming against us. Meanwhile, there's a young pastor there that I've gotten to know. I, I met him the last time I was there and we've been in communication and he's uh, doing some things that we're really interested in. Some of you have been... Uh, know about uh, Mission Agua Viva. It's a, it's a ministry where we're able to go into these quilombos and bring uh, water filtration systems, just simple clay pots that have a filter so that because they don't have clean drinking water to drink and many of them suffer all sorts of uh, unnecessary diseases because of that. And so therefore, we've been in communication. Well, he drove eight hours to come up and see us that first day and uh, spend some time with us and then turned around and drove home. Well, now that's, uh, that's 16 hours of driving just to come see us. Well, while he was there and we could see that everything was going wrongly and that maybe God had something else for us to do, uh, I asked him if he was going to be doing any uh, of the Agua Viva ministry, you know, in any of the Quilombos where he is. Really not sure where he is, but wherever that is, I wanted to know because I thought, you know, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. Well, he said, yes, as a matter of fact, we're going to be doing that. Long story short, uh, me and the team packed up all our stuff, loaded on the bus, and took off on an eight-hour journey south to a place that we've never been, a place called Jacare. It means alligator in Portuguese. Now, okay, so that tells you. So we're going to alligator. And uh, 
Uh, so that doesn't sound real good. But anyway, there we go. We take off. And, and uh, again, um, I'll spare you the gory details, but it was a grueling trip to get there. We arrived there. And we were met by a group of people from the church, very exuberant and excited for us to be there, much like it was when we first started working in Guimarães. So we're there. They're excited. Um, we get settled in. And the, the first thing that the pastor wants to do is he wants me to do some leadership training the, 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 the next morning with a group <clears throat> on evangelism. And then we would get started with all the things that, that we had planned. So I did that. We had a wonderful time together. We began working. And instantaneously, it appeared to us that God has led us to a spectacular opportunity. So here we are in this new place, getting to know our surroundings. Um, that night, we, uh, we, go, we go visit some of the quilombos that are in close proximity to the city. I noticed immediately that the church was extraordinarily strong just simply by uh, the way in which their, their facility was so cared for and that it was, it's one of only two churches I've seen in all of my time in Brazil and all the cities and all of my travels that has Sunday school space, which is extraordinarily rare. And I thought, wow, a people who have raised the money and built Sunday school space, that says a lot about their commitment to discipleship and the word. And so, we had a service that night, an outdoor service. Normally, when we have an outdoor service in Brazil, you got to understand a, a big crowd would be maybe 30, 40 people. They're very small villages of people. Well, we had probably 150 or 200 people that night, and it was just a powerful, amazing outpouring of God's Spirit. And as I stood there and preached and I looked across all these people, I thought, this is unbelievable, and that was only the beginning. And so from there, it just led to one thing after another, one blessing, one encounter, one uh, just supernatural act of God where He was just leading us to places where we would go and we would find the great harvest of God. When Sunday night rolled around and uh, I, it was time for uh, me to preach in that church, I preached earlier that day in another place and then they brought me back to the church. Sunday night is when they have their primary service, much like we're having now on Sunday morning. So a typical, a large church in Brazil would be 60 people. We meet together to, to have church. There's literally, you cannot fit another Brazilian person in the room with a shoehorn. What we find out is that there has never been American missionaries come to this city before. And it has caused a great stir in their community and the communities around. And it is standing room only. In every window, there are people looking in. All the way out into the street, there's people as far as I could see. I've never seen a gathering of people such as this. I preach the gospel. God rakes in a harvest. And here comes all these people to receive Christ. And I'm just thinking, this is astonishing. Then we wake up the next day, we go to a quilombo, which, again, we've worked with before, but had very marginal, minimal success, some success, but, but very little. It's very hard. They're very untrusting. They're very uh, to themselves. And so we go there, we, we go to this quilombo, and we're going to present them with uh, uh, water purification um, uh, equipment. So we get there. And we go up and down the street and we invite everyone in the Quilombo. I think there's 25 houses in this place. It's called Villanova. We go there. We invite all the people to come. They, and uh, we say, listen, we're going to meet under this tree in about 20 minutes. Come down there. We're going to explain to you how this works. And we're going to give you this uh, pot that will purify your water for you. And we're just going to give it to you for free. 
So then we go back down under the tree. Here comes all the people. Obviously, they're, you know, thinking, first of all, there's some white people here. So that's crazy. Second of all, they're giving away free stuff down at the tree. So we're going to go see what that's all about. So they all come and uh, we go through the presentation of how it works and what it will accomplish and how simple it is. And there's a little filter inside that they can buy themselves anywhere locally for $2 and it'll filter out all the uh, diseases and problems and things in their water. So we go through all that. At At the end of that little moment in time, the leader of the Quilombo stands up and he says, I just want to thank you for the great distance that you and your team have traveled and for how much it means to us that you would care enough to come here to visit us and to, and to give us the ability to have clean drinking water. And it was a very, that doesn't happen. I've never seen anything like that happen. And so we shared with them the reason why we did that. And because Jesus Christ has been so gracious to us, we, we now are His ambassadors to be gracious to those around us. And so we gave each family, we presented them with a water filter, and uh, we invited them to come to a service that would be held later that uh, evening, uh, several communities away, where the church that we're now working with has planted a church about 10 years ago. So we and we said, we'll send the bus up here to get you because it's a grueling uh, walk and probably only one person in the whole community has a car. So we'll send the bus. We'll pick you up. And this is the time it'll be here, so on and so forth. We get that night. This will be, I think, Monday night. We show up Monday night in front of a school and we begin to set up chairs. That's where we're going to have this service. So we're going to have a service for this community. And then this Quilombo Villanova is going to come join us. So we start taking out all the, the chairs from the school and setting them up in this big dirt field and they string up their light bulbs and, you know, they, they brought their, their musicians and their drums and their, uh, guitar and their, to have praise and worship and all that. And people start coming and people start coming and people start coming and people. And pretty soon there are hundreds and hundreds of people gathered in this field. Then the bus comes and the entire Quilombo that we were at has shown up at church. And I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. And so here is the largest gathering I've ever seen in Brazil, all out here in this field. We sing praises unto God. I preach the gospel and God is glorified and magnified. And I'll never forget this instant in time as I'm standing there. And it's when I'm done preaching and I'm watching this jubilation in the crowd as as the people who many for the very first time have heard the gospel, heard the name of Jesus, who have grown up uh, in satanic macumbo uh, witchcraft, who, who give offerings to uh, Satan, who, who, who fall prey to all sorts of horrible, deceiving, false uh, gods, and it's just a terrible thing. And they hear about the God of the universe who hung the stars in the sky over their head and who has sent us here to proclaim the good news to them. And they're literally in jubilation. And I'm sitting there taking all this in, just overwhelmed by the goodness of God, how he has taken what was just a few days earlier, such a, a terrible obstacle and magnified and, and manifested himself and turned it around into this unbelievable opportunity. God is so good. Now, I want you to keep that story in mind as we look at this scripture in Acts chapter 13. What we're going to see here, this is Paul's first missionary journey. 
And I want you to look at some of the characteristics of what is going on here. And I want you to just keep in mind what I've just told you as we go through this. And I want you to see the pages of Scripture come alive in the life of Michael Memorial Baptist Church. The Bible says in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, Now in the church that was at Antioch, this is Antioch of Syria, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who, was, uh, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the, and the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now here's what I want you to see first of all. I want you to understand that ascending church is a gospel-centered church. That it's not just any church that God's going to do what is about to happen here. But God is giving us the blueprint of what kind of church that He will use to accomplish His unstoppable mission. I want you to see here that this is a church that's seeking after the Lord, that's grounded in His Word, that's listening to the Holy Spirit, and that's led by godly men. Notice these godly men that that are made up of, it's a plurality of leadership, much like you have here, of teachers and preachers. But all of them have the capacity and understanding to proclaim God's Word. And so of these men, the Holy Spirit has chosen Barnabas and Saul or Paul to be sent out. And so the Spirit of God speaks and calls His people to go and to do, and they respond. And so the church sends them away. And here's what you need to understand is that oftentimes the church will, will raise up men of God, women of God, families of God, and then God will call them to go and do greater things. And we need to understand that what we want to be is ascending church. And we don't want to be the kind of church that wants to hoard the talent and the goodness that God gives us. Case in point, in case you were not here last Sunday, I would implore you for your own benefit and goodness to go on the website and to download those sermons. And in particular, I would say and commend to you, you need to listen to last Sunday night's message. And you need to, as you listen, recognize that that amazing, gifted sermon that was preached was preached by a fireman who came here, God saved him, and called him. And as I listened to that sermon, I was utterly astounded. Not that I didn't know he was called, not that I didn't know Brian was gifted, but just the simple fact of the goodness of God towards us. What a good God we serve. And so God calls the best and he sends them. Now, this church at Antioch, you can go back later today or tomorrow and you can read Acts chapter 11 and you can see this is an amazing church. And as it forms, it forms uh, as, as men go to Antioch and they realize that there's men from Cyprus that have preached the gospel there and there's a church forming and then the church at Jerusalem sends Barnabas there to go and to get it together and then Barnabas gets... Paul and Paul goes there and they begin to minister and build God's kingdom there. And it's just an amazing thing. But what you've got to understand is you cannot replicate that which you do not possess. You see, the first thing we need to understand is we need to be a gospel-centered church. And if we are a gospel-centered church, we need to understand what is the consequences of that. The consequences of that are that God is going to make every gospel-centered church a sending church. That's what the Bible says. So it doesn't really matter to me what you think about that or what I think about that. That's what the Bible says. Okay? And so we need to understand this is God's unstoppable mission. And if you don't hear anything today, this is what you need to hear. 
that if you're not on board with the unstoppable mission, the mission is going to pass you by and you're going to be the loser. Because it's going forward. He's not going to be stopped. He's not going to be thwarted. If you think that one man's retirement party and one woman's appointing, uh, appointing to the leadership of a church is going to stop his unstoppable mission, you are sorely mistaken. It absolutely, positively will not. And so we cannot replicate that which we do not possess, and we simply cannot plant gospel-centered churches unless we are ourselves gospel-centered. So it's a corporate effort. It's a corporate effort. The whole church is a part. They pray. They support together. And so what we're going to see in the following Scriptures is a pattern of ministry, a pattern of what we ought to expect in our personal ministry as we make disciples at home, as we make disciples in our community, as we make disciples around the world. And the pattern goes like this. Number one, there's communication. Communication is always centered around God's Word. So you're always going to find a gospel-centered church is centered on the Word of God. Therefore, it's gospel-centered. Otherwise, it would not be. So if there's a church and all they're doing is giving you five simple steps to have a great marriage or a bunch of hogwash about how to be healthy, happy, and prosperous, then it's not a gospel-centered church. But if it's a church that's centered on the Word of God, there's going to be proclamation. There's going to be communication. So the gospel is going to go forth. Secondly, there's going to be opposition. Wherever the gospel is, there's going to be opposition. Those two things go hand in hand. You cannot even begin to uh, expect that somehow you're going to preach the truth and that it's just going to go great all the time. If it's going great all the time, I can assure you, according to Scripture, you're not preaching the truth. You're not communicating the truth. It's always been that way and it'll always be that way because that's God's design. There'll be communication. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be determination. You see, in the midst of the opposition, that's where it's going to, the chips are going to hit the, 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 the fan. In other words, it's going to find out what's it going to be. What are you going to succumb to the opposition? Or are you going to overcome? Are you going to persevere? Or is there going to be determination where you're going to just push through whatever it is that's trying to stop and make sure that you're a part of what God's doing? Number four, there's going to be confirmation. There's going to be fruit production. There's going to be blessing. There's going to be result. In other words, once there's been communication, once you've gone through the opposition with determination, there's going to be some confirmation. The Word of God will not return exactly. And so therefore, there's going to be confirmation. So look for it. Expect it. It'll be there. And fifthly, there's going to be glorification which is the purpose we exist. That's why we're not in heaven right now. We're here for the simple, express purpose of bringing glory unto God. And how do we most highly, most effectively, and most greatly glorify God is when we, in obedience to His mission, are a part of what He's doing here in our lives, in our families, in our communities, and around the world. That's where God is glorified. When the people of God walk according to the Word of God and bring great glory and honor to their King. And so that's the five components that we're going to see. Now let's look at four cities. Five components, four cities, and record speed. Number one, Cyprus. The first city is Cyprus, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and there they sailed to Cyprus. It's an island. And when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And also, to, as they had John there. That's John Mark as their assistant. Verse 6. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. That means Bar, son of Jesus or son of salvation. That's what he went by. Who was with the proconsul uh, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. 
But Elymas, the sorcerer, this is that son of salvation, for that was his name translated, withstood them seeking to turn the pro-council, this intelligent man that wanted to hear the word of God, away from the faith. Then Saul, who is uh, called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently. Boy, that is a weak translation. When it says Paul looked intently, that means he gave him the stink eye like nobody's business. He looked intently at him. And said, oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil. See, instead of being son of salvation, you're really the son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease from perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you. Uh Uh-oh, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Well, that ought to get your attention. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. So I guess that was the end of his sorcery for the day. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now quickly, you see the components there? What happens is the Word of God is preached, verse 5. It's communicated. But then what happens? We see in verse 8, opposition. Now this opposition is demonic opposition. It's blatant, obvious, demonic opposition. This sorcerer, this magician who goes by the name of Son of Salvation comes and begins to try to thwart the mission of God. But what do we see? Paul gives him the stink eye. He doesn't run away in fear. He doesn't back down. He doesn't quit. But he presses through. We see determination and perseverance. He presses through. And what's the confirmation? The pro-council believed, the man believed, and God is glorified in the teaching of His Word. You see exactly what I'm talking about right there in Cyprus. Amen? City 2, Antioch and Pisidia. Now, this is a different Antioch, not the first one that was from, uh, from, the fir- from chapter 13, ver- verse 1, 2, and 3. Antioch and Pisidia, verse 13. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos... They came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John departed from them. That's John Mark again, returning to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent them, saying, Men and brethren, if any of you have a word of exhortation to the people, say on. In other words, someone stood up in the synagogue and said, Has anybody got anything to say? You don't do that when Paul's there. That's a mistake. And Paul's like, well, as a matter of fact, and the Bible says in verse 16, Paul stood up and motioned with his hands. See, some of you say that if, if my hands were tied behind my back, I couldn't say anything. And I say, well, that's maybe true, but it's biblical. Paul uses hands to communicate the word of God to you. And so he stood up using his hands and he said, men of, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And what you find in the following verses is this unbelievable uh, sermon that we don't have time to look at, but I just want to point out a few things. If, if you'll notice or you want to take notes on this, from verse 17 all the way down to verse 25, Paul gives the history of Israel. He talks about how God rescued them from Egypt and how He raised up Saul and then gave them David and how all the way through to John the Baptist. And then Paul goes on beginning in verse 26. He begins to talk about how Jesus comes on the scene and how uh, the Jews raised up Pilate to put Him to death. So we've got the historical context of the Messiah. Then we've got Jesus as the Messiah that the Jews had put to death by Pilate's hand. And then we see down in verse 33 that God has fulfilled this for His children, that He is the Messiah, in that 
Uh, he has raised up Jesus from the dead. So we see the resurrection. We see all these amazing components of a gospel presentation. But I want you to take special notice to verse 38. Look down in verse 38. The Bible says, Therefore, let it be known to you, Paul says, brethren, that through this man, through Jesus, is, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul says to this group of people who are trying to just sort of figure this whole thing out, who've been raised in Judaism, he stands up in the synagogue and says, I'm here to tell you about one who is the justifier of all who believe. That means whoever, whoever should come and believe in Jesus Christ will be declared righteous in the throne room of heaven, that all of his sin would be forgiven and that he would be a child of God. This is the most unbelievable message that you could ever give. And and there he is just proclaiming that message to people and they must be leaning forward and just thinking, I can't believe this. Who is this person? Now, he wasn't tall and he wasn't blonde-headed and white-skinned standing in the uh, dirt uh, field in Brazil. But I can tell you it was the same message. It's the same Savior. And so the gospel is communicated. Look in verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. See, they wanted to hear more. Do you know what the question was to the three of us every single time we went in, every single time I preached, every single place we went? There was one question every single time, as soon as we got done, where were we going to be tomorrow and when were we coming back? That's all they wanted to know. Where are you going to be tomorrow and where are you coming back? I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more. If I had a nickel for every person who asked me for a Bible, most of them can't read. But in the hopes that someone in the village would be able to read, to read them the Word of God, they're thinking, please tell me more. I want to know more. Now, when the congregation had broken up, verse 43, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to what? Continue in the grace of God. That tells us that there was a great harvest. They, but they, they made some profession. They made some indication of receiving the grace of God. You can't continue in something you don't possess. So therefore, they're encouraging them to continue. Why to continue? Because that, that is the mark of salvation. You see, that's the only way that we know someone's truly saved. There's imposters among us all the time. There's people who look saved, act saved, try to, you know, and it's hard to tell. And you don't know and you wonder. But here's the, here's the telltale sign. Perseverance. The people who are here today, gone tomorrow, flake in, flake out. That's your, that's your first sign. There's trouble. Truly saved people persevere. First John 2.19 says, they went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. John 8.31, Jesus says to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. That the mark of true salvation is continuing, is perseverance. It's not this up and down, hot and cold, on and off. But it's someone who's there day in and day out, persevering in the Lord. That is the mark of salvation. Verse 44. So on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what we saw when we left the Quilombo of Villanova. But then what happens? Opposition. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicted and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Now, the first opposition we saw was blatant demonic opposition by this 
son of salvation, this sorcerer, this magician. Now we see a personal attack against the leaders of the church. And so that's what we'll see. We'll see a personal attack here against me, against Rod, against Brian, against the elders, against the deacons. That's how it always goes. We shouldn't be surprised. That's another form of opposition that always follows the proclamation of the truth. And the more truthful I am to people, the more opposition I'm going to face being personally attacked because of my truthfulness. That's the way of the world. So we shouldn't get down about it. We shouldn't dismay about it. It's the way it's going to be. This is what's Scripture shows us. But what's the response? Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and they said, it is necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Then he quotes Isaiah 49, 6. He says, for so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. That that's what you should be. That's what has been proclaimed to you in the Old Testament. That's what you ought to know. But you've rejected that. And what you've done is you've judged yourselves unworthy. Now understand something. If you're here today and you're apart from Christ and you're destined for an eternal hell separated from God, it is not because God has sent you there. It is because you have chosen that path. You have judged yourself unworthy. You have rejected the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Any person who goes to hell that was not created for people, but for the devil and for his uh, cohorts, is because you rejected. It's because you made that choice. You judged yourself in your rejection of the good news of the free gift of salvation. So they persevere. But then what happens? There's glory. Look at what happens in verse 48. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. You you could just go back through this tomorrow and take your pen and your Bible and you underline everywhere in this passage you see the word of the Lord or God's word over and over and over and over. That's what it is. Every single place. Verse 44, the word of the Lord. Verse 46, the word of the Lord. Verse 48, the word of the Lord. Verse 49, the word of the Lord. Over and over and over. So there's glory in that. Jesus said in John 6, 65, Therefore I have said to you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by the Father. Now, does that bother you? Does it it mess you up to think about the fact that to come to Christ, you have to be, it has to be granted by the Father? Look at what it says in verse 48. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, they glorified the word of the Lord. And who? As many as had been what? Appointed, appointed to eternal life, believed. In other words, the Bible will affirm over and over and over that you don't come to Christ apart from the Spirit of God working in you. Now you say, now wait a minute. Hold on a second. You said back in verse 39, when we talked about what the Word of God said there, that by Him, everyone who believes is justified. So which is it? It's both. It's both. You don't come apart from the work of God, but everyone who comes is justified and declared righteous. And you say, well, how does that work? Well, here's how it works. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That that's how God works. God in His sovereignty and His majesty, He works out the details. I don't need to know more than He tells me. And what He tells me is plenty good enough for me. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews... Here we go again, stirred up the devout and the prominent women 
and in the chief and and the chief men of the city and raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and they came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now again, we see oppression, but this time oppression is going to come through external, outside leadership. It's going to come through bringing the people who are important in the city in which they're determining to work against them. So maybe that would be the mayor. Maybe that would be the pastor that we're trying to work with. Or maybe that would be... But that's to be expected. But here's the point in verse 52. When they departed, they were what? Were they moaning? Were they grumbling? Were they sad? Were they whining? Were they complaining? They were filled with joy. Why? Because they knew that the Spirit of God was at work and that they were doing God's work. City number 3, Iconium, chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened at Iconium that we went together to the synagogue and the Jews, and we so spoke that the great multitude of both the Jews and the Greeks believed. Now here we go again. We're now in a new city, and we do the same thing. We proclaim, we speak, and what happens? Paul is going to speak up. Somebody's got to speak up. That's what we need, people to speak up. Just like Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 6. He asked the church at Ephesus to pray for him. And he says that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Because I'm an ambassador that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But whenever we do that, what's going to happen? Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Again, we see opposition against those this time that they're trying to reach. Every city, we see the same sequence, but we see different forms of opposition. This time, it's against the people that they're trying to reach. The poisoning of their mind. I wish I had time to give you all the illustrations that I have in my head of times where I have been trying to witness to somebody, lead somebody to Christ. And some other person, some other person from either within the church or close proximity to the church, has done everything in their power to thwart the power of God in this person's life. Because Satan is using whoever he can. And the primary tool that this specific form of opposition takes in America is gossip. So let me just lay out a little warning to anyone in this church that happens to have loose lips. You are putting yourself in great danger before the Lord with the looseness of your lips. Be careful of what you say. Make sure it honors God. So what now? We've got the proclamation. We've got the opposition. So how are they going to respond? Again, determination. Verse 3. Therefore, so what happens? They're going to oppose them? Okay, no problem. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stay there a long time. We're going to stay a long time speaking boldly in the Lord who is bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So sometimes you shake off the dust from your feet. Sometimes you stay longer. Sometimes you you work there. But regardless, you persevere when opposition comes. Verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided. Part sided with the Jews. Part sided with the apostles. Verse 5. So a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews and their rulers to abuse and stone them. They became aware of it. And they fled to Lystra and Derbe and the cities of Lyconia and the surrounding region. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, uh, whenever you enter a house, you stay there, and from there you depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, you shake off the dust of your feet, as is the testimony against them. He also said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 23, that when they persecute you for proclaiming the truth, what do you do? You flee to another city. I mean, listen, 
I'm just telling you, it hasn't happened yet. I hope it never does. But if they start stoning me, I'm probably going to move on. I'm just going to let you know that, okay? I'm going to probably move on. So whenever you're communicating the gospel, you need to understand you cannot, cannot, I cannot emphasize this strongly enough. Whenever you're witnessing to somebody at your work, in your community, whenever you're trying to share the gospel with somebody, you cannot, cannot, cannot try to control the outcome of the word of God in the human heart. You cannot do that. Don't manipulate. Don't try to work your work some plan or scheme or thing. You just be honest to the gospel. Let the gospel do the work in which it was created to do. Number four, and lastly, Lystra. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting and a, a crippled from his mother's womb, and he had never walked. So here's a crippled man, never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, a proclamation. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had uh, faith to be healed, he said with a loud voice, stand up straight to your feet. And the man leaped and walked. Now, this is apostolic ministry. There's no apostles today. So we don't reproduce what's only been done for a special time, a special purpose. And when people try to do this, they make a mockery of the gospel. That's just extra. So go back to verse 11. Now, when people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in a Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas, what they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, because they were the chief speaker. Now, that just freaks them out. Paul and Barnabas are like going, what? We're not gods. Don't call us your crazy gods. That's not what you need to be doing. Verse 14, and when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran among the multitude, crying out to them, men, why are you doing this? We are also men of the same nature. We're just like you. And we preach to you that you should turn from these useless things and to the living God who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in them. And who bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling our heart with food and gladness. So they communicate the gospel. Verse 18, and, the, and with the saying of these things, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Look at what happens. Communication followed by opposition. Verse 19, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. All I got to say about that is that church planning takes guts and anybody who's uh, adverse to risk is going to fail miserably. It's hard. It's difficult. It takes guts. You're going to have to go places that you don't know. You're going to have to do things that you're unfamiliar with. But the payoff and the reward is extraordinary. So how do they respond to the opposition? Again, determination. Verse 20. However, the the disciples gathered around them and rose up and they went into the city. And the next day, so they went right back in the city. And then what do they do? First, he gets stoned half to death. Then they go back in the city. And the next day, does he take a week off? Two weeks off? Does he go on a cruise? Does he go to the Bahamas and get a facial to restore all the dents in his forehead? No. The next day, he departed with Barnabas and he goes to Derby. So there's determination beyond determination. And then what? Confirmation, the fruit. Verse 21, And when they had preached the gospel in the city, and many disciples were there, uh, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying to them, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. There's the payoff. First Peter 4. 
The Bible says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which try you as some strange things have happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, that you may be glad with exceeding joy. Why? If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. Verse 23. So when they had so they anointed elders in every church again <clears throat> elders in every church thank God for a godly church with elders they put elders in every church and prayed with fasting and commended them in the Lord in whom they had believed verse 24 and after they had passed through Pisidia and they came to Pamphylia now when they had been preaching the word in in Perga they went to Attilia and from there they sailed to Antioch in other words what did they just do they went right back through all the cities they had already been why do we keep going back to the places that we've been? Because that's the pattern of Scripture. We go back. But look at verse 27. Now when they had come and they gathered the church together, what did they do? They reported all that God had done with them and that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, which is exactly what I'm doing with you this morning. I'm showing you what God has done. I'm showing you the doors that God is opening. I'm encouraging you and imploring you to be a part of the mission of God not just in Brazil, not just across the world, but here tonight at our fall festival at West Wortham, in your communities, in your families, that we need to be a people who, number one, communicate the gospel. we got to speak up. And there's going to be opposition. We need to expect that. We don't need to cower down when things get difficult. We need to persevere through it. We need to refuse to allow opposition to discourage us. That when there's chatters and when there's people talking and when there's opposition from the inside, we don't stop, we don't rest, we keep pressing because the mission is unstoppable and the worst thing we can do is let it pass us by and not be a part of it. That's the worst thing we can do because we know that on the other side of determination, there's going to be confirmation. We're going to see the Word of God do what it's intended to do because it doesn't return void, because it does the great work that it was created to do, that it's the only remedy for the ills of this world, that there's no social gospel, that there's no humanitarian aid that's going to accomplish anything remotely close to what only the gospel can do, because ultimately that's what brings God the greatest glory. And that's why we're here. We're here to make disciples at home and across the street and around the world, because that's the plan of God. That's the pattern of God. God's pattern of ministry is communication opposition. Perseverance or uh, determination, confirmation, and glorification. That's the pattern. So here's my question, and then I'm done. What is the pattern of your life this morning? Is that the pattern of your life? Is it the pattern of your life to communicate the gospel to people? Are you facing opposition? That's a great question you need to ask. Because if you're not being persecuted in your workplace... It's probably either that you're on staff here or you aren't saying anything. Because opposition is going to come. And then the opportunity for us to persevere in determination is going to be there. And that's when we get to see the fruit. That's when we get to see the result, the confirmation of the Word of God and what it's intended to do. My greatest fear is that there might be someone here today who has listened to everything that I said and would still contemplate walking out of this place without a relationship with the true and living God. 
that maybe there'd be someone here who is a member even of this church, someone who comes every week and listens to me preach my heart out, who sits in Sunday school class, and again, hears the Word of God proclaimed, and yet you lead no one to Christ. What a fearful thing. What a fearful thing it would be to miss out on the mission of God. But thank God that if you are here and if you are a part of this place, that you can open your Bible and you can read Acts 13 and 14 and you can see that the very pages of Scripture are coming alive before our very eyes and that God has granted us an opportunity to be a part of what He's doing. And we're going to send a team today, commission a team today that's going to be leaving Saturday to go to Belize to be a part of what God is doing there. And listen, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear, Pastor, when is enough enough? It's God's mission. It's His mission. What else would we give ourselves to? What else? We're going to give ourselves to TV watching? We're going to give ourselves to storing up our barns full of stuff. We're going to give ourselves to our comfort and our desires and our flesh. Listen, we're going to stand before God. Every one of us will stand before Him one way or another. It will either be at the Bema seat or it will be at the great white throne judgment where the lost stand before Him physically and bodily, where the earth and sky fled away from the wrath of God. But either way, we'll stand. And we'll give an account for what's been done in the body, whether good or bad. And the only difference is going to be, is it or is it not eternal? And all I'm simply saying is, my goodness gracious, what an opportunity. What an opportunity we have to be a part of what God is doing. So listen, there's a people in a town called Alligator that, by the way, what I didn't tell you is that for more than half of the year, most of the Quilombos that we'll be working in are only accessible by boat. And that to get there, we had to ride motorcycles because there's not a road to get us there through the jungle. But every tree I passed, every little mud hut, I just thought, God, why have you allowed Michael Memorial to be a part of what you're doing? So good that we get to come home, leave church today, go out into a community and love on people. That every day this week, there'll be people assembled down in the fellowship hall, packing boxes and sending the gospel thousands and thousands of times all over the world. My goodness. God, I don't want less to do. I want more to do. I do. So I don't know. I don't know where you are this morning. But I just can't help but wonder, are you here 
having judged yourself unworthy of eternal life? Because if you are, the opportunity to walk through the narrow gate is here today. You come to a loving Savior who will declare you righteous in the throne room of heaven. Forgive your sin and usher you into His kingdom. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're part of a church, a church that's growing every day to be more and more like the church at Antioch. And I know that if you're a, church, if you're a member of a church like that, the Spirit of God speaks. So if He's speaking to you, if He's calling you out, maybe there's someone here that God's calling out. Maybe there's someone here that God's calling out to the ministry. He's calling out to the mission field. He's calling you. I'm not. He is. The God of the universe is saying, you, 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 give your life to this unstoppable mission. Maybe it's just as simple as coming and bowing down before the Lord and saying, God, here I am. I'm open. Use me today. Maybe you need to come and bow down here and pray. Pray for all the people in the West Wortham community. Pray for all those, all, all the, the wonderful teachers. We have so many teachers here who agonize every single day at the lostness of their students. Here we have an opportunity to make a difference. Pray for those children. Pray for those families. Pray for them. Pray that God would save people. Whatever it is. The mission is here. And it's unstoppable. And the opportunity has been granted to us. And what a glorious thing that is. Let's stand, bow our heads, and close our eyes. Father, we thank you today for your goodness towards us, Lord God. Father, I thank you for the goodness of your gospel, Lord God, and how it has worked so mightily in our presence. So, Father, today we just bow humbly now and say, Lord, you do in this time what only you can do, and we give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name.